Shit, the Christmas dogs are back. What is this, Christmas in July? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to Don't Be an Idiom, episode 81. Albert and I were ruminating on how many times the Christmas dogs have made an appearance in the Don't Be an Idiom skits and songs. And how many more times they'll show up in the future. Yeah, I, we could we can take a break from them for a couple more years. <sighs> so... Uh, hey everyone, this is the podcast that explores the origin stories of common phrases and idioms. I've got a classic tonight. I don't know. I don't know if you, if you got a I've got a weird one. I've got a classic. Tonight. No, you don't. You do? No, I've got a classic Whoa. because I know that I've been pulling out some weird ones, some <laughs> single single turn like words, single words. Um, so this one is a phrase I have. Yeah, and good. I think you're gonna recognize it. Good, good. So I'm not gonna say something like. Is that an idiom? I'm not going to say tonight. anything like that. Okay, not great. tonight. All right, so that's something to look forward to somewhere around minute 15. It's a real but, show. So this is a real show. <laughs> it does take a long time, actually. It does take a long time. Um, hopefully everybody's summer's going good. I know our summer's going good because... Yeah, we went to Blobfest. Ooh, yeah. Most people probably don't know what Blobfest is. You want to you wanna explain that? Yeah, I mean, I just learned about Bob, Blobfest last year. Bobfest? Uh, Bobfest. And so it's in Phoenixville. It's in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. It's not even that far from Philly, really. So no. if you're a Philly person, you can get out there. It's the Colonial Theater is the main attraction there. So that is where they filmed the iconic scene of the 1950s blob mm -hmm. where like the blob comes into the theater and then everybody runs out. So one of the things they do to kind of kick off the whole weekend on Friday night is people um, go in the theater, see a little stage show and then everybody runs out screaming. So mm -hmm. that's kind of like a, that's how you know blob fest has begun. Right. But then the rest of the weekend's great. Like they have, all these spooky vendors all weekend long, like selling like really cool crap. My, um, our good friend Pete got us blob soap. Yeah. That right. gets you Steve McQueen clean, <laughs> um, is the little line oh, there. Steve McQueen. Um, and then, and then they do uh, movie marathons all day. So this year's theme was like a classic universal monsters. Yeah. We saw of. the Wolfman. Yes. And then we saw the eighties blob. It was fun. So it was. listen, it if was you, fun. if you live in, Anywhere near here, like, I don't know, tri-state area, New York or Pennsylvania, New yeah, Jersey totally. or Delaware even, you got to come to Phoenixville, Pennsylvania in July for the Blob Fest. Support your local Blob Fest. It's just so great. There's so much food and drinks and vendors and yeah. movie stuff. And like, it's just seeing that many people come celebrate a 1950s sci-fi movie. Right. It, it's, you know, it's exciting. It's great too, because like all the... All of the first of all, it's such a cute area, and they shut down Bridge Street, which is where the um, where the theater is. Mm -hmm. So you can just hang out, eat, drink in the street. Nobody bothers you. A um, lot of good vibes, and I really like how all of the local businesses they dress up their stuff. They'll do blob decorations, or they'll do blob themed like foods or drinks or something. We got blob beers. Remember, we yeah, went to this yeah. place called the Basement. Um, and they were like, blob beers, three bucks. And we were like, hey, man, what's a blob beer? And he's like, it's a Coors Light with red food dye. We're like, we'll take four. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a, like a college Just kid's Just so exciting, place. though. Yeah. Like, 
We were definitely the oldest people in there by like 20 years. Yeah. Well, then there was some of those people that were like old, old. Old, old, old. But yeah. Um, yeah, so Blobfest was fantastic. And uh, our friend Jess opened her shop, her plant shop, The Perch, right on Bridge Street, um, just in time for Blobfest this year. So if you are looking for plants, uh, you got to check out The Perch. Check out the Instagram on Perch. It's awesome. She's doing a great job. Yeah, beautiful shop. Yeah. Uh, cool. So, yeah, what else is going on? Um, what else is going on? Well, we're in the top of the show. Okay. I I listened to five hours of Yacht Rock today. Yacht Rock? Is it what it sounds like? (laughs) You know, it's like, it's like Steely Dan and Gordon Lightfoot and (laughs) Hall & Oates and Boz Skaggs. That's funny. I didn't know that that was like a... I think that, I think the, uh, the genre name is new. Like, I think it's only like 10 or 15 years old. That's a really good It's like genre. soft soft rock. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yacht rock. It, is that's good. what I was listening to when <laughs> but that was the playlist had started over. I've listened to like five every, and a half hours every yacht of rock yacht song. Rock. Yeah. That's cool. That's a nice way to chill out. You know, it just makes you want to like get on the boat, have a drink, put on your sperries. God, you know, we gotta get on the boat. Get your get your discovery credit card out. Yeah. You know, buy lobster for all of your rich friends. Yeah, sure. Man, you know. that sounds all right. I know, right? And go down to the Cape. <laughs> Which Cape? Cape Cod? Fear. Cod? Cape Cod. Go, go up to up Cape. Up to the Cape, I guess. Um, so yeah, man, that sounds good. Oh yeah. I would do that. That's all I got. I went to the I was at the thrift shop today. Good. Everybody's nuts. Um, okay, so uh I was researching yesterday and something amazing happened. So a couple of well, first of all, let me start like this. I've been watching the Mr. Bean animated series. Yeah, you mentioned I that Which I cannot me. believe, first of all, how many episodes there are. And it is Rowan Atkinson, and he's just like, Rrr. like he's just Ooh. making noises and probably getting paid so well. A lot, yeah. Um, so anyway, I had it on in the background yesterday when I was doing my research, and it was the finale of the second season. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. Like Mr. Bean runs into a copy of himself um, in the park huh. named Mr. Pod. Uh, okay. Um, and he's pretty much the same, uh, except instead of carrying around the teddy bear, he ca- carries around a um, uh, a penguin okay. um, stuffed animal. Yeah. Long story short, at the end, um, they're driving out in the country and a UFO Whoa. lands. Whoa. Yeah. And... Mr. Bean goes up into the UFO, like walks up into the UFO and there's all of these Mr. Beans with different, um, different stuffed stuffed animals. animals. And they're all like, at one point they're like, you are the one. And they close up the ship and they're, they're taking off. Right. But then Mr. Bean is like saying like his girlfriend is down Uh uh, on the ground and he's like, bye bye. And (laughs) the Mr. Pod realizes Uh how sad the girlfriend is, even though Mr. Bean is like so fine with leaving. He's so fine. with it. Um, I'd love to meet the woman who dates Mr. Bean, by the way. Well, you've seen her in like episodes, probably. Like the Thanksgiving or Christmas episode. She's like always upset. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so Mr. Pod decides like, we can't do this to the to this girl. So there's this amazing moment where they recreate the opening scene of the live action one where the beam comes down, they play that angelic music. Wait, we've talked about this 
No, remember we talked about theory. what if he was an alien. And so th- does this, is this canon? Does this suggest that Mr. Bean's actually an alien then? Well, that's the thing. They, cause they see him and they're like, you are the one, right? Oh, okay. So they beam him down. They, 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 they play that angelic music and then they, they zoom off. Now they zap the girlfriend's brain so she doesn't remember, uh-huh. but Mr. Bean does. And he's, when he's, he like, as it's flying away, he's like, until next time. <laughs> So my thinking is that either he is one of them or somehow he's like this chosen one. I don't know. So, okay. So then in the timeline of the Mr. Bean show, seasons one and two take place before the first episode of the real version. And then the real version is just him living his regular life biding his time until the ufo comes back to get him that's the thing like right because in the so if you haven't seen the mr bean animated they haven't right he lives in like this apartment complex with this old woman who's really like crabby and all that stuff so he's there's i think i watched like 40 or 50 (laughs) 11 minute episodes before this happens yeah so in, if you were to insert this into, yeah, like this the is the timeline. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, so he's got this life. Fascinating. I don't know. I, I, either way, they are definitely saying that that beam is from a spaceship. Wow. Well, now, that is exciting. Now, is Mr. Bean an alien? I don't know. Is yeah. he a chosen one? But he seems sure at the end, and there's still so many more episodes. He seems sure that he will see them again. Holy shit. So I have to keep This go, is big. Go, okay, isn't well, it huge? Yeah. Keep, keep I was, us I was uh, Keep us abreast of any important updates regarding his uh Man, you know, I just alien classification. It just makes me wonder about the writers and like the writers of the show versus the writers of the cartoon and like right. how do they like how much thought was put it like was that the idea all the time? Yeah. Anyway, so we're leaning to the, the the idea was Mr. Bean was either an alien or an angel, and it seems now that they're definitely Bean's leaning more towards. Alien. Love it, yeah, good. All right, that's good. That's a great update. Pretty much that, and then me and Ryan, we realized that we kind of created a sort of idiomatic expression recently by accident, which is here we do it. Here we do it. So <laughs> when you are about to do something, uh, or or you kind of like, all right, let's let's go. Let's, and I think it means like you know like. Let's get it moving. Let's get it moving. But also, you're going to be impressed with what you're about to see. Yeah. It seems like a combination of here we go and, let, and, and let's, like let's do let's it. Let's do it. Yeah. So here we do it. Here we do it. You heard it here first. All right. So I hope someone's been keeping track of all the idioms that have been created over the course of these 80 episodes. But yes. uh, uh, it's been I've a couple. not. Yeah. Peanut dinner is still the one that Peanut sticks dinner, out. My dad very, invented yeah. that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I definitely use that. Totally. Yeah. Even totally. if it's cashews, I'm like, oh, fucking peanut dinner. And even if it's something like anything, like a popcorn or something, like a veggie straws, like if you just have too many snacks. Yeah, right. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Veggie straws are, they kind of, my tummy feels weird after too many veggie straws. They're, what are they? I don't know. <laughs> They're not vegetables. No. <laughs> it's just corn flour. I guess. Is that a thing? I don't know. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump into some some histories of English phrases. We want to tell you where these things come from because uh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, so that's the whole thing. If you don't know this part of the show, we play a little game. 
Uh, to see who goes first. To see who goes first. So what we brought today... Well, Albert brought it because he's the game master. The game master. The cracker barrel game. Forgotten in so long. Uh, yeah, so this one, it, it's the triangle game that you... If you've ever been to Cracker Barrel, they like leave on the table that you can play while you're waiting for your food. Uh-huh. Which I'd never seen before in like... You know, because I, I outside only, of Cracker Barrel, well, I've, I've only gone to Cracker Barrel for the first time ever this oh, year. Yeah. I remember you telling me that, and like I'm surprised that I've been to a chain restaurant more than you, because I've been yeah. to Cracker Barrel at least like ten times. I feel like, yeah, no, I know, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, but somebody, my friend at work, was telling me like, oh, you got the Cracker Barrel experience is great. Like you sit on the rocking chairs outside and you play the and tri- you wait and you play the triangle game and you, you eat too much food and the gift shop and stuff. Like there's it's, a weird it's, gift shop. A, yeah, country arts and crafts. Yeah, shit. Yeah. Oh God. And I then enjoyed it. And then there's a little game on each table where you have these pins. So pegs, um, even. pegs, pegs. I'm sorry. They look like uh, golf tees. They look, yeah, they, they might be golf tees, but <laughs> if you've never played this game before, um, basically you're just jumping pegs and trying to have the least amount left on the triangle. All right. So let's see who has the least at the end of this. And um, we'll be back in a minute. All right. Here we do it. Here we do it. Well, send in the aqueducts. Ryan won. The aqueducts. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'll tell you what, I was not expecting to beat Albert on this one. You never expected it. Um, well, you know, you have been to uh, Cracker Barrel ten times more than me, so that Oh, I, I've probably had some extra practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always say carpe diem, you know. Oh, sure. If you have a chance to get sure. to Cracker Barrel and play Mind Magic... To right. get in there. Hold on. Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Dead Poet Society. Yeah. Wait. What is it? Live for... T- seize the day? So seize that, the day. That, that's what it means, right? Seize the day is what... Um, is how it's generally translated. Yeah. But... And this is kind of why I decided to do this. That's actually not even a fully accurate... Good. ...translation. But yes, it means seize the day. Um, I do have like a little definition here for you. Okay used to urge someone to make the most of the present time and give little thought to the future. Live in the moment. Carpe diem. Live in the moment. moment. Exactly. So, you know, this is a pretty popular phrase that people like to throw around. Um, And yeah, Dead Poet Society certainly made that very famous. Right. uh, Or great 90s drama. Um, So, yeah, this obviously is not English. So how, how did this enter the English language? As a popular phrase. Um, yeah, so it's Latin, right? It's Latin. Uh, first of all, somebody told me, and I, I didn't fact check it, recently, mm. that I think Tim Allen got offered <laughs> the role <laughs> not, of, uh, of Dead Poets No, Society. he didn't. That is not fucking I true. I think it might be. It Tim might be Allen <laughs> from Home Improvement? Oh, 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 oh Caesar Day. <laughs> Yeah, he well, kind of sounds like a Christmas dog. He does sound like a Christmas dog. Um, okay, <laughs> so, all right, let's see. So it's Latin. It's carpe diem. Mm-hmm. My first instinct was to actually have it nothing to do with Latin. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, well, what were you thinking of? Carp? 
Yes. <laughs> Guys, this is a fish guest. So another fish guest. This is your guest. second fish guest in recent <laughs> weeks. Um so yeah, like I'm thinking like there is this sort of backwoods sort of you know there's a there's like a, a small little tucked away kind of area in the south mm. let's say maybe georgia i don't know and uh georgia's south enough right georgia's south yeah. okay yeah it's the south it's humid that's for sure <laughs> and there was this little um this little restaurant uh called I don't know why I thought of Dante's, but it's Dante's sure, yeah. uh, on the water. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a night. Night. It, actually, if you if we pulled up there, we'd be like, yes, this yes. is the best. Yes. Um, but, an Italian eatery in the South. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, maybe, maybe. Maybe it should. Maybe it should be like Crazy Eye Joe's or something. Crazy like that. It's probably Joe's. better, actually, okay. because, <laughs> um, you know, they they specialized in like, you know, carp was big on the water there. You could catch yeah. carp. Um, so they had, uh, they had a, a special there, and because Crazy Eye Joe obviously um, had some like reading, reading issues, right? Mm-hmm. So he would <laughs> he he loved wood burning though. Mm-hmm. He like lo- he was a, he was an outdoorsman. Like he, was, he wasn't campfire a, stuff. He, he wasn't like a book guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he wanted to make a. He's like, man, he's like, well, the carp is the best thing we got here, you know? So he wanted to make a sign that would be special for that. So um, he made this sign that he thought said carp is a dime, but but he ended up spelling, he ended up writing carpe diem. Carp is a dime. Carp is a dime. That is dumb. So then, you know, mm-hmm. people started coming in and they're like, what's with this Carpe Diem? And he's yeah. like, what are you talking about, <laughs> you crazy? And they'd be like, the sign outside. He's like, no, it's Carp is a dime. Yeah. Um, but it just stuck. And then, you know, yeah. people but were like. But today only. You got to buy it today. Well, it's the catch of the day. Yeah, it's the catch of the day. But it's the catch of the day every day. Okay, right. Um, but, but yeah. But if you're just driving by and he's like. Carp's dime today, but Carp's I don't tomorrow. Dime. They're like, all right, well, we better we better buy it right now, right? It's but the catch of the day, and yet though he did wood burn the sign, which takes a while. Like I have a wood burning kit, yeah, right. And I, I like it's fun, yeah. Um, so it would be one thing if uh, that, and that's the reason that the sign stayed that way because sure. if he would have done like a <clears throat> like a paper sign or something like that, he could have replaced it really quickly. But it was like one of those. It was nice actually. It was like on a nice piece of like milled wood and Good. he hung it out there and because yeah. he knew that was going to be the special because that was his specialty carp carp okay, is so, a dime so carpe diem on, that's a re, it's like only been around for like 80 years yeah yeah like just think like when would it cost a dime for like a carp dinner so uh-huh. like maybe I don't know I'm bad at this 50s um, be in the 50s? Sure, yeah, sure. 50s, yeah. So in the 50s, backwater restaurant, crazy Great. crazy eye Joe's Good. restaurant, carp is a dime, carpe diem. Wow. And and yes, today. Yeah. You have to get it today. Yeah. And seize, seize the fish. Seize a day. Great, great. So that's like a thousand nine hundred and eighty years off. Oh, yeah. okay. So close. <laughs> in the grand scheme of like the life. 
the life of the universe, yeah. not bad. Not bad. I guess that's true. It's sure. not, it, this doesn't come from like the dinosaurs. In billions of years, it's really close. Sure. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Uh, no, Carpe Diem has been around since basically like, you know, 50 BC. Right. Or, or 40 BC. Right. But let me tell you how it gets there. First, I want to talk to you about the the literal translation. Like what a Latin teacher would hope that someone would translate Carpe Diem as. Right. And it's actually a horticultural metaphor. Oh. Because Carpe translates to pluck. So like pluck the day in reference to picking fruit when it's ripe. Okay. So when we when you say Carpe Diem, you're really meaning like pluck the day because it's like ripe a, like in this a ripe moment. fruit like it's a ripe night, fruit it's right now yes so your mind should really equate ripe fruits to to like that season of the day that makes sense cuz it's like you know all you have is sort of today right like so it's always the day is the the present is always ripe yeah. in a sense right yeah 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 <laughs> that's what the, I mean, it's not, I getting the any, point. it's not getting any better. Well, and the second half of Carpe Diem is Carpe Diem Quam Minimum Credula Postero. All that. Which means pluck the day, trusting as little as possible in the future. Right, so sure. So you can't put stock in the future. We no. have no idea how that's going to go. Right. So got to pull it off the branch now. Um, future. That's weird. So Quintus Horatius Flaccus. He is the man, the Italian man that gave us this this um, this phrase that has stuck around for so many generations. Yeah, we know him as Horace, who I oh. believe we've mentioned at some point on the show in the past. Yeah, he was a, a Roman lyric poet. He was a satirist. He was a critic. Um, he studied philosophy in Athens, and you know he he rubbed elbows with Virgil. I mean, like this guy, the Virgil. The Virgil. Wow. Yeah, we're talking. We're talking like the most celebrated of Augustan poets. This is a big deal. Wow. And he came out with this uh, this collection of odes called Odes, and this was one of them in the very first book. And I do want to read the the whole passage because I, I, most of us have never even considered where Carpe Diem falls in its original poem. Right. So um, a lot of these odes are, they're just like little thoughts and some like advice. And sometimes they're like toasts like that you would give while like drinking. Sure. And this one is is written to Lucini. Don't ask. We never know what fate the gods grant us, whether your fate, whether your fate or mine. Don't waste your time on Babylonian futile calculations. How much better to suffer what happens, whether Jupiter gives us more winters or this is the last one, one debilitating that Tyrrhenian sea on opposing cliffs. Be wise and mix the wine, since time is short. Limit that far-reaching hope. The envious moment is flying now, now, while we're speaking. Pluck the day. Place in the hours that come as little faith as you can. So that's the whole O. Sure, wow, yeah. So even while... And I like how he makes a little comment in there. The envious moment is flying now, now while we're speaking. Even us talking about why we should, you know, be drinking right. wine right now. That even just talking about it is wasting time. Right. We could be just we should partying. Be doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should just be doing it. Right. So that's um, cla- that's like the man, living in the present moment. That's like classic. Yeah, it's just like 
mindfulness of our own mortality. You guys need to just realize the importance of that. And I think it's 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 cliche advice because we hear it all the time, but it is good to really, I think, you know. Well, cliche um, stuff is usually cliche because it's said so often because it's really true. Exactly, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. So um, now, when did this kind of enter the English language and... You know, because it's interesting that it's a phrase we don't say "seize the day," right? I mean, Not, I mean, I guess we do, sort of, we, a little bit. But "carpe diem," I guess, is more popular to say as like an idiom. It's actually funny because I've been going back and doing all the old home movies episodes, which I know I've mentioned now on the last couple of episodes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the, I don't know if you remember the one where um, there's this motivational speaker um, mm-hmm. who actually has a gambling problem. Oh and he's yeah, just, yeah, he's yeah. Like he's like. He's like, repeat after me. He's like, seize the day every day. Seize the day every day. And then he, but then like he does this whole gambling spiel, which is so funny. I do remember that. I do remember that. I'm talking gambling. <laughs> oh, I love you. Damn, I got to go back and rewatch this. Yeah, you do. Anyway, so yeah, sure. So um, there is a romantic poet, that, another one that I think we've talked about before, but his name's George Gordon, Lord Byron. Hmm. Byron was one of the 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 uh, guys that was around when Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. Um, like and in Percy the, was he, there he was there with, at the storm. Yes, while Dude, the storm I can't was happening. Believe that story is that's yeah. crazy. He he was a poet and an, an essayist, and uh, he would like translate works. He he was actually a student of Latin, and he eventually translated. Uh, another piece of writing that Horace had done. So he was very familiar with the writings of Horace. But but Byron's a character. I mean, like, he was one of the first, like, um, stars. You okay. know, like, famous people that, wim- like, women would write, like, fan letters to. And, hmm. and, and, and you know, it was like Byron mania. Uh, his wife called it that. Byron Maine. Yeah, so it was like he was a you know like before Elvis and the Beatles and you know things like that. And this is like the early 1800s. Wow, I wonder how his wonder how his wife like that. He was a stud. Yeah. But um he did have a club foot. Um okay. <laughs> So he's compensating with a big personality maybe. Yeah, he had a pet bear. Okay. Um, All right. He would drink wine out of the skulls of his ancestors. Okay. At, in his mansion that, and he would invite people to. Oh, sure. He's um, got a mansion, sure. And yeah. he he actually in a in a way plays a role in creating the vampire myth in Western literature mm. because Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, and he had an idea for a an aristocratic vampire, but he never finished it. But his doctor, who we brought around with him wherever he went, went whose name was John, John Polidori, uh-huh. he took that idea and wrote a novella called The Vampire, V-A-M-P-Y-R-E. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of the three texts that influenced Bram Stoker's Dracula. Get out of here. Yeah, so in a, and, it, and the, the character's based off of Byron, like the vampire character. Okay. So Byron, in a way, is, is like responsible for creating that aristocratic vampire um, <laughs> image so i mean he is an aristocrat yeah yeah oh yeah and he's drinking he's lord drinking wine out of skulls <laughs> uh-huh. and then he's like i got this idea for a vampire aristocrat uh-huh I was like, but he doesn't write he it, wrote right? a little bit of the poem but yeah. he just didn't care yeah because yeah. he's too busy seizing the day yeah he is too busy oh, dude, seizing the totally day. and then someone wow that's great and he brings his doctor with him around because yeah. he's like i might die from all this wine <laughs> yeah so that guy came out wherever he went you may remember the movie Gothic, Ken Russell's Gothic, yeah. was about 
those guys. Get out of here. It was about Byron and John Polidori and Percy Bysshe Shelley and Mary Shelley. I don't remember anything about that except for... It's a crazy movie. The guy sitting on the chest. Yeah. So that that takes place on that evening that that was written. That's what Gothic's about? Yes. Oh, I got to rewatch Gothic. It is wild, man. Yeah. Ken Ken Russell's a crazy uh, director. Well, and that's a famous painting too, right? Like with the horse... The Nightmare by Fuseli. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, he, um, he wrote a letter uh, in 1817, and in it, he wrote, I never anticipate, carpe diem, the past at least is one's own, which is one reason for making sure of the present. And mm. this letter was published by Thomas More in 1830. And so here we see carpe diem in its Latin form being used in a sentence of English, and people... You know, remember, there's Byron mania. People would eat up everything right. that he wrote. So all of a sudden, Carpe Diem... And other authors had included it in their works before, but but Byron was so much more of a powerhouse yeah. that like it caught on as a phrase. Sure. So this ends up being the sort of moment where it I think it enters into the English language and it gets used away more often. And then, you know, things like Dead Poet Society help kind of re... Right reignite it man you know i feel like if well obviously i guess being rich helps Mm. but man if we could just go back you know far enough when nobody's really done a whole lot yet Uh and we're just like we're just gonna be kind of (laughs) weird you know like we could have been famous back in the old days you know (laughs) yeah i i do think about that sometimes like what if we like took like a Doobie Brothers song and just mm. brought it to like 1800 and we're right. playing it like on like a mandolin and we're like, hey, this song's pretty good. Yeah, what yeah, do you think? That's, we're the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> um, so, all right. So another thing that I just kind of stumbled upon was that Carpe Diem is found on a lot of ancient sundials and clocks mm. and stuff. Well, that I guess I which, could see that making sense. Right? Yeah, it's like time's running. It's this time right now. Where are your kids? But the most interesting thing I found actually has nothing to do with Carpe Diem. All right? Okay, that happens. I, I think it happens to you a lot. It happens to me a lot. <laughs> so while I was researching Horace, I stumbled upon a very famous French company who also borrowed from Horace's odes. Okay. Because Carpe Diem is from Horace's odes. And this, this company, the Michelin Tire Company, okay. also took a phrase a Latin phrase from Horace. Okay. And I got into this. (laughs) Michelin is so fascinating, man. Well, like I'm just going to, I'm only going to spend like like five or so minutes on it. But, um, you're going to tell us about like, what's the, with the Michelin man. He looks like the state puff marshmallow man. I, I have so much to tell you about the Michelin man. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So in the very first advertising advertisement for the Michelin man. And you guys might re- remember who the Michelin man is. He's like basically all of these white tires and yeah. he does kind of look like stay puff marshmallow. Oh, those man. are supposed to, he's supposed to be white tires. Those are tires That's because weird. tires weren't even black until 1920. They tires used to be, used white? To be white. Yes. Why? I don't know. We get dirty right away. That's <laughs> yeah, true. But most people didn't even have cars anyway. Sure. <laughs> it's like, we're talking like, 1917 basically okay okay so anyway the very first advertisement for michelin man which is a tire company it, there was a slogan on the top that said nunc est bibendum okay which is from horace's odes it means now is the time to drink 
Okay. Get out of here. And there's a picture of him holding up a cocktail glass. Whoa, the old Michelin man is wild looking. He looks like a freaking mummy. Well, I, I, I don't... And, and what are those goblins on the other side? They're other, like, tire creatures. That's crazy, yeah, man. man. So you'll see that there's some other writing here. And the rest of the writing is... um. It says, uh, basically in English, now is the time to drink, which is to say, to your health, the Michelin tire drinks down the obstacles. So in this cocktail glass, it's filled with screws and broken glass and things like that to imply it's so, it's so weird, like to imply that our tires can go over these things and, and it won't, it won't break them. It won't pop them. Wow. So then I was like, all right, cool. So they also use this kind of thing from Horace. But what's the fucking deal with Michelin Man? Yeah, what is the deal All with right, Michelin so, Man? Well, first of all, let me just say this. Yeah. Um, so the, the Michelin Man that Ryan just showed me is a much older version than the like super puffy one that you see now. Um, I'm wondering, like, and they're super thin too, because back uh, old tires didn't even have air in them, right? They weren't they just rubber at so, first? I'm not sure, but the creators of Michelin, he actually got the idea from seeing a stack of bike tires. Sure. So when he came up with the mascot, those are actually like based off of bike tires and not car tires. Oh, okay. So they do look really thin. He also kind of reminds, reminds me of the Invisible Man, actually. Oh, yeah. That now that I'm looking at it. Definitely. More than and this predates the Invisible Man. You know oh. what I mean? By by quite a few decades. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So you see Nunc Est Bibendum. Yeah. So after this comes out, they end up adopting the name Bibendum for the Michelin Man. Michelin Man is not called Michelin Man. His name is Bibendum. That's his Whoa. name. Which means like drink, basically. Drink and drive. I love it. <laughs> uh-huh. I love it. So um, um, this, was, this all started in 1894. The Michelin Brothers had um, a stand at the Lion Exhibition. And he's one of the oldest trademarks still in active use. So... Whoa. Um, in the early 1900s, he would be depicted as a gladiator, a kickboxer, a pleasure-seeking ladies' man. He would be smoking cigars and drinking beer. Yes. And all of this was to appeal to wealthy people who were the only people that could afford cars at sure. the time. Yeah, right. So that's why they also show him with those, uh, what are those called, Prince Nez glasses, you know, those like little ones with the chain. Spectacles, I would have said. <laughs> so... Uh, and yeah, and so tires weren't colored black until 1912, which is why Bibendum's white. Once they made that change, they did try to portray him as all black tires, but it looked weird on the printing. Sure. He just looked like a, like a black blob. Yeah. So then they went back to white, and that's why he's still white today. So when you see him weird. as white, it's a reference to pre-1912 tires. That is funny. I I never really understood what, Me neither. what his deal was. I was like, why is like a... Like a, uh, like a, uh, what does it look like? Um, sh- shaving soap or something. Yeah, um, exactly, man. It's so strange. Um, the hell's that stuff called? Shaving soap? I don't know. Here's another picture of him. In an, in look a- at him go. He looks like Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> he <does. laughs> Dude, he looks great. He, he looks like a good time. So yeah, I would love to get some vintage posters of that shit. It would look good in your house, actually. So for our, our listeners in England, Please take a picture and send it to us. In uh, London's Fulham neighborhood, 
that's where Michelin's headquarters was from 1911 to 1985. And they had a gi- giant stained glass windows Whoa. of bib, bibendum, that they yeah. call it bib. And now it's it's like a two-star restaurant called the Bendham Restaurant to Michelin stars. Yes, Michelin stars from that restaurant sketch are from the Michelin Tire Company. What? Yeah. Wait a second. This is the other bombshell thing that I'm that I've, I've learned. And oh, let me get to it. Okay, because I have a question about why <laughs> why do they only have two stars? Isn't so it's three. It goes up to three. Oh, okay. All right. So. Um, so the Babenum Restaurant and Oyster Bar is like this really fancy um, restaurant that's that's in their old where they used to like make the tires and like construct all the stuff. Yeah. So they they have like these stained glass windows of him, like oh riding my a bicycle. God, dude, Raj would love that shit. In the very like. front of the building, there's a giant one. Oh, it's amazing. During World War II, they took these stained glass windows out because they were afraid they were going to be destroyed by the bombings. Yeah, sure. Isn't that crazy? Wow, and then they put them back in. I love that. <laughs> and I think the ones that are in here now are recreations based off of That's pictures. Fine. That's which is, fine. Which is fine. Uh, right, so you might be, you've heard of Michelin stars that yeah. restaurants receive. Yeah. This comes from the Michelin Tire Company because back in the early 1900s, uh-huh. You really couldn't sell tires to many people. Oh, so you also... Because not everyone had cars. So what they tried to, to sell was a, a way of life as a traveler. Oh, okay. So they made guides where they would tell you what hotels to stay at, what are some ah, things to yeah, see, sure. what are some restaurants to eat at, mm-hmm. and they would award them one, two, or three stars. Okay. One star was like, definitely check this out if you're walking by. Uh-huh. Two is like, hey... Go out of your way if you can. It's like exceptional food. Yeah. And three stars is like, you should make this like the reason for your journey. Okay. Basically. Because I was going to say you invented the Michelin stars and you didn't even give yourself three. <laughs> well, but also, isn't but that's it kind of humble? Isn't like it a little it. crazy that the restaurant that opened up in the Michelin building has two stars? There isn't even a single restaurant in Philadelphia that has a Michelin star yet. Wait, really? Yeah. I looked it up today. Not even one. None. Weird. Supposedly. Huh. So what is that like? Where where have you ever been to a Michelin no, star restaurant? I don't think so, no. Wow, we should try to go to I one. Know, well, yeah, we can drop some bills. Even for a one star, huh? Yeah. Wow, so, cool. So they just try to market the concept of travel. Yeah. And then eventually, over time, this became like a prestigious thing to get sure. a Michelin star. Isn't that crazy? It's really crazy. <laughs> and one other thing I'll tell you. Because you brought up Ghostbusters. Yes. In the dubbed version, the French dubbed version of Ghostbusters, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man is named Bibendum Chamelo. And Chamelo was a confectionery marketed in France under this name. Okay. Which is similar to marshmallows. So he his name is Bibendum in the French dubbed Ghostbusters. So he's not a marshmallow man or he is he's he's, he's the shamalo sh- which is like is like a, ma- a marshmallow but they also add the name of the michelin man oh my god that's great <laughs> isn't that crazy oh man uh, so anyway i just saw ghostbusters last week in the theater um so anyway that that's kind of dude, it but i just oh, the the that's so good the the all the horse connections and the latin stuff just got me into this other hole and i thought that was I had to share it with everybody. I um really want to 
get more into this whole <laughs> tire business. <laughs> you want to open up your own tire shop? I just no. I just want to like see more of all that. Um, well, guys, go out Google Michelin Man advertisements from the 1900s. They are wild. Whoa. Yeah. I, I, and I, I want to go to that restaurant. I want to go to London now just to go there. <laughs> just to go there. <laughs> so anyway, that's the way the cookie crumbles on Carpe Diem. Wow. So, you know, pluck the day and go visit the Bibendum restaurant and oyster bar in London. Cheers to that. All right. We'll be right back after this break. Michelin man can. The Michelin man can. The Michelin he, man can. Cause he does it with tiles and rubber. Welcome back to Don't Be an Idiom. We hope you enjoyed the history of Carpe Diem. Ugh. We've got one more idiom. Yeah. Yep. To explore together. All right. Well, it's gonna be hard to follow up the Michelin man, but. I'm going to give it the whole nine yards. Oh, wow. This is a classic. Mm. The whole nine yards. This might be one that we've talked about casually. We have, actually. And that was going to be something that I bring up. 2017 or something, probably. Yeah. So, But I, I'll be honest. I, I just assumed that was off the table, so I've never really dug know, into it deep. I know. Me too. Me too. I yeah, so what do you, why don't you tell the people, Raya? I think I used it wrong just there. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, the, the, mean, the meaning of whole nine yards. Yeah, what's, what does that mean? It's the whole nine yards. It means everything, right? Mm-hmm. Just everything. Yep, everything possible or available. Everything possible or available, and it's a great movie. Yeah. With Bruce Willis yeah. and Matthew Perry. Yes. Which is funny because Raj just It's probably not as good now, but gave me <laughs> I it only has like it only had it, it had a very low rating on like Rotten Tomatoes and I think it had Fuck like Rotten Tomatoes. Two, two stars on like IMDB <laughs> or something like that. That's <laughs> pretty funny. But um you know, when we were growing up it was very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, Bruce Willis and uh Amanda Pete. Amanda Pete, right? And uh, Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so anyway, uh this one I have not ever thought about doing mm-hmm. because really early on you said it, right? There was an episode early on where my I I was talking to my uncle Harry. Yeah. <clears throat> and he was like um you know because I because I was telling him about how we started this podcast and he's like, "Oh, neat. Like I I love that kind of stuff." And he's like, "Have you ever heard the whole nine yards?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Do you know where that comes from?" And I was like, no. And he said that it comes from the machine gun belts, like right? Those big long belts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, which was on World War II aircraft. Right, right. That were the whole nine yards were, shoot were, everything we've it, got. Well, and because those those belts were nine yards long, so if you shot all of your ammo, you've shot 
that nine yards of bullets. Right. And so what, that's that's inaccurate? It's inaccurate. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, so that's huge. Yeah, so that was that is one of the most popular um, beliefs. And that's why I never looked into it. Yeah, because, because I thought I we... thought that he told me... Yeah, right. That well, there that. are so many... There are so many idiom origins where people think that this is the... This is where the idiom comes from, but yeah. it's just wrong. It's just because... At one point, someone said that, and then that's what everyone else picks up. And, exactly. And just runs with it. Exactly. So, um, all right. So, <laughs> what I thought I would do to start this all off is to give some of the most. Pop- well, should I guess what the actual thing is? Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have. <laughs> oh, you weren't going to guess. You weren't going to guess. Uh, well, I was going to do something with bullets, bullets. but 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 do now. You, oh shoot! Sorry. But so do your it, own thing with bullets. Well, if it doesn't have anything to do with bullets, then I'll just guess a whole new thing. Maybe it's a different thing with bullets. Oh. <laughs> my bad we've only been doing this 81 times for five five and a half years or whatever my five bad. and a half years five and five full schools west uh all right let's get a story where do you think this this comes from all right no i want to get i want to get this accurate though so the whole nine yards if it's not from world war ii and doesn't have anything to do with the bullets then i guess it has something to do with hmm I'm gonna say you brought you brought Dante up earlier. I did. I'm gonna bring Dante back into the uh, picture. Okay. Since he was quickly wiped out. Yeah. I, yeah. Dante had a sandwich joint in New York City. Look at this in Brooklyn. Sure. In the 1940s. Okay. And uh, he made a killer Italian yeah. sandwich. Oh yeah. With the Soprasat yep. and the Capricol mm. and the mozzarella, the provolone. The Genoa. The Genoa salami. What we got? <laughs> mm, molto bene. Oh, molto bene. And um he but there was one meat that he could not crack. <laughs> crack pepper ham? It was crack pepper ham. <laughs> and uh he just every time he tried to make a cracked pepper ham sandwich, <laughs> it tastes tasted terrible. Okay, so he everyone was like everyone was like Dante, your your sandwiches are so good, your paninis, they're molto bene, <laughs> but don't give me the cracked pepper ham. <laughs> and he's like, all right, well, what if I make it really big? Ah, uh, sure. So for you know for Easter. Yeah. Is Easter the end of Lent? When's the end of Lent happen? Or is it the beginning of Lent? Hmm. It's the end of Lent, right? Yeah, I think after Easter you can eat ha- you can eat meat to again. Do all this stuff yeah, yeah, that yeah. They right, right. Get. So obviously Easter in Brooklyn in the forties was a big deal. Yeah. You know. Get that and, bread with the eggs in it. Right, yeah. What is that? It's like an Italian like pastry or something. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> and uh he's like, I'm gonna make he looks in his fridge, his refrigerator, and he's like, I have all this cracked pepper ham because no one ever buys it from me because I make it Somehow so poorly. I ruin it. But let me just like measure this out here. Okay, I got I got I got nine yards mm-hmm. of bread and more okay. than that in in a cracked pepper ham. So I'm gonna maybe it's maybe it just needs to be longer to be more delicious right so like it's got to be spread out more big, it's been too flav- compact big sandwich big flavor yeah big sandwich big flavor okay 
And um, they <laughs> the taste is this, big. <laughs> this Roy sucks. Rogers this, number one. This sucks. No, it doesn't. No, no. Everybody loves a giant. So food thing. yeah, they do. Like mm-hmm. it's great. Right, 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 right. So he's on a CNN, <laughs> ABC. Good Morning America. Good Morning America. You know, so he he starts laying out the bread. Mm-hmm. He right outside of his shop, and he starts going down, and everyone starts gathering around. They're like, "What are you doing? What's he doing? Yep. What's not they doing?" Yep. And he's not talking to anyone. He's in the zone. <laughs> right. Uh, he ends up being a big un- influence on um, some of the people who establish the rules of football. And football oh. fields are measured out in yards. Yes, they are. This is partially because of, of really Dante's because of Dante's fame. sandwich. Okay. Anyway, he lays it out. Then he go he go, lays out um, uh, some tomatoes. Yeah, and the the lettuce, and then a special sauce made of um, cat pee and lemons. It's made of the blood of his enemies. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so. So he maybe had like mob ties. He maybe had some mob right? ties. Right. I mean. Yeah. And then he finally took all the all the cracked pepper ham that he that he had been storing up in his fridge and laid it all out. And he said, "All right, I, you guys have doubted me, but I've put out, I've laid out the whole nine yards. I have nothing left. If you don't enjoy this, then I'm through. I'm done as yeah. a sandwich maker." And so. You know, it was it was Easter Sunday, and they all dove in. Oh yeah, I could see like the whole neighborhood coming out. The whole neighborhood came out. They took pictures. Yeah, and it was a terrible sandwich. Most, oh, <laughs> mostly because he laid it out right on the street there. Oh sure. Um, and uh, he gave it the you know the whole nine yards. He gave it everything. He, he went he the had. whole nine yards and still was unable to capture. Yeah, and it was considered the biggest failure <laughs> in the Italian American community. Um, that decade and, did his uh, did his like business survive or he did committed that put, suicide that, okay <laughs> okay <laughs> he he couldn't handle the uh the wow yeah well i'll tell you this i but love tried i love a giant sandwich yeah anyway i'm sorry that was uh that was not my best work and don't you dare apologize i know i just that's a great one that's um, okay so where does it actually come from well that is the question um as i jumped the gun uh, oh, a little bit idiom. earlier. Um, what I can tell you is it's not Ryan's guess. It's not the giant mm-hmm. sandwich. Um, although I would like to know like who was the first to make like the giant yeah, really food, big sandwich. like world record type thing. You know, I would say one of the early like diners in the 1920s that was like trying to like bring people off yeah. the road. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. I'd love Before to, I'd love to know about okay. that. Um, okay. So I wanted to give some of the most popular theories out first. Um, because the thing about the whole nine yards is, um, let me, let me just start with some popular theories and then, cause I, 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 it's been referred to in the world of idioms in a, some fun ways. And mm-hmm. I want to get to that. So it is not the world war two machine gun things. Okay. Right now there was also a machine gun in World War One called the Vickers machine gun. And normally its belt of bullets was something like 120 to like 140. But then when they were in World War One, they found a way to combine the belts mm-hmm. um, and you were able to get something higher, like something like 240 to 
to three fifty or something like bullets? that. Bullets. Okay. And they and they said it was roughly twenty seven uh feet, which okay. would be close to that whole nine yards. Um which would be that nine yards amount. But um it, it's also not that. Okay. Is not the origin. Um <clears throat> some popular things were actually in clothing. So um some people say like the Indian saris, Scottish kilts, burial shrouds, or even just like bolts of cloth in general, mm-hmm. a lot of times were sold in standard lengths of nine yards. Oh, interesting. Or multiples of nine um, of the, yeah, of yeah. that. So that was like kind of like a standard thing in, in like the early, uh, no, during the 1800s and early 1900s. Okay. But it's not that either. It's not that either. Full rigged sailing ships um, have this term which they use called a yard, which is not a measure of length or size. It's um, it's the name of each horizontal spar on which a sail is hung. Oh, so if you that's get, a yard. Yeah, so if you get um, all of your square rigged sails unfurled mm-hmm. with three yards on three masts, then mm-hmm. you could. You could call that the whole nine yards. Oh, but that's also not that's right. also not it. I was going to say because I was bringing up the yacht yacht rocker yes, earlier today. Yes, wouldn't that have been something? <laughs> um, another really popular one was the volume of a concrete mixer. So the amount, oh. like you're able to, um, and some people were very insistent. Like uh, I read some letters from people who were like concrete pourers and And like that's the amount of that's the amount of distance and you you would and you would actually say um like give give that uh spot there the whole nine yards which is like the entire contents of the cement mixer so it's it's used regularly in construction worker lingo yeah i mean some of these there were some of these guys that wrote to one of our uh favorite um people that we get our info from the phrase finder yeah um he actually did a really interesting thing with the whole nine yards because there's so many theories. Right. He actually showed all of the emails uh, with people's names uh, blotted out that were so insistent that they knew um, what the whole nine yards meant. And he even did this little breakdown of like a table of like how many people thought it was cloth and and how many people thought it was concrete. And then there was like, you know, all, all sorts of stuff like that. It's also not that. Uh, this one that I, I thought was really kind of fun was the volume of a rich man's grave was nine yards of uh, dirt, essentially. Whoa. Yeah. That's cool. Not that either. The volume either, of though. a rich man's grave. I know. It just sounds good, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, some think it's the amount of cloth in the queen's bridal train, the Shroud of Turin. Um, some think it's a reference to the f- a fourth down play in football. So, so when you make... like. If, if you don't know how football works, you got to get 10 yards. You got four, you got four downs to make 10 yards or, or you, you know, have to give up the ball or punt or whatever. So, um, they would say in sports, like if you were, uh, you know, you're on your fourth down and you'd be like, okay, he's still got to go the whole nine yards, which is kind of like not even accurate. Cause you really would have to go the whole 10 yards mm-hmm. for it to be the football one. Yeah, sure. Okay. But you know, it's still yeah. a lot. Um, and there's this one other thing that, uh, I'm not sure if I found the right one, but there's this old joke about a Scotsman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so cool. um, I think I found the one that the reference is to. So I'm going to kind of give you the 
the brief rundown of this joke. Okay? And these are all incorrect These are all beliefs. incorrect. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this is going to be the last of the incorrect, okay. but I like this joke. Okay. So this Scotsman goes to the tailor with this really nice fabric, and he, um, he's got nine yards of fabric. And he says, uh, you know, I'd really like, make me a really nice kilt, and I want some matching underwear to go with it. Taylor says, okay, calls him in a couple days, and he's like, your stuff's done. So he comes, and he's like, oh, this is fantastic. And he's so, the Scotsman is so excited. Um, oh, before I get to that point, Taylor says, yep, and I've, I've still got five yards left of the fabric for you. So it took him four, he's like, I made it with four yards, mm-hmm. and, and you still got leftover if you ever want to make anything else out of it. Yeah. So he's all excited. He's like, he loves this kilt, loves the underwear. So he runs home and he decides that he wants to put it on and show his girlfriend. So he's excited. So he, in his haste, um, puts on the kilt but forgets to put on the underwear. Mm-hmm. So he runs over to her house and he's like, honey, check this, check out this kilt. What do you think? And she's like, oh, wow, that's really nice. Like, I, I really like it. He's like, if you like that, wait till you see what's underneath. So he pulls up his kilt, not remembering that he didn't wear the underwear and she's like wow very impressive and he's like and if you like that we've got i've got another five yards of it at home <laughs> which i don't know five yards of his penis back at that house. <laughs> that's ridiculous um so it's also not from there okay either. it's not from that joke no it's Good. not um so here's the thing with the whole nine yards it's been referred to as the bigfoot and the holy grail of word origins. Oh, people were people have gone through a lot to try to uncover yes. the history. Now, the reason it's believed that it's so popular because in 1982, there was this guy named William Sapphire. He was a political language columnist for the New York Times, and he made a public appeal on Larry King's radio show Whoa. Um, to be like, help me find the origin of this idiom. And he wanted it bad. Funnily enough, in his like lifetime of looking for this thing, he actually wrote nine columns about it. Wow! So nine columns about the That's whole. It's fun nine to have yards. an obsession of something, though, right? Totally. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, this is before you know the internet and you know these really like much more accessible databases now. I mean, you know, people are on like microfiche and yeah, stuff right. like that. So I can't imagine trying to hunt something like this down. Yeah, really. Right. I mean, really, like how? Like without people doing it before us, this show would be impossible. Right. <laughs> All right. So um, here's so that kind of the hunt is on. Right. So what I wanted to do is I'm going to kind of take you through uh, like the years are going to go up uh, in, in people uh, digging and finding mm-hmm. more and more. And then those those years of when they found it are going to go down. So we're going to be going like up and down in history at the same time. Okay. Okay. So in 86, the OED, uh, there was a supplement in the OED that originally places the, um, the phrase uh, is origin in like the year 1970. But in 1980, there was this book called the historical dictionary of American slang and says that it was actually from a 1967, uh, book called the doom pussy which is i know it's it was written by this woman elaine shepherd and it was a it was a novel about air force pilots in the vietnam war mm. so people started to think like maybe it's getting towards that gun belt sort of thing mm. right but then 
In 2007, this guy, Sam Clements, who was a coin dealer from Akron, Ohio, he found a 1964 article in the Tucson Daily Citizen where they were listing NASA jargon. Yeah. And in it, they said, give them the whole nine yards means an item by item report on any project. Mm. So in 2007... 1964 is the oldest thing that they found. Yeah. But then in 2009, there were two researchers that pushed it back a couple more years to 1962 when it appeared in a short story about a brush salesman and an article about a car magazine. Oh. So as you can see, what I like about this idiom is like people are going for it. They're hunting. Yeah. Pushing it back like a couple years at a time. Yeah. Then in 2012, there was this woman named Bonnie Taylor Blake, who was a neuroscience researcher in North Carolina. She found an article in an outdoors magazine called Kentucky Happy Hunting Ground, which references the whole nine yards. But then in that same year, in September, she also found a 1921 headline from the Spartanburg Herald Journal in South Carolina, which was titled, this is a big thing here, the whole six yards of it, it was Whoa. called. So this is the first time that we're hearing. And it was used in idiomatically. Yes. Well, actually, this was this was what was interesting about this article. So that was the headline in the paper. The article described like in detail this baseball game, and they never mentioned what the heck the whole six yards was. Yeah. Oh, weird. So the title. The readers knew, though, you think? That's the thing. It's right. like. We're tr- they keep trying to figure out where this is coming from, but the fact that they titled it the whole six yards of it made you think that this is a common phrase already. Mm-hmm. And it, like, you know, the, the, the article didn't really have anything to do with any, they didn't explain it. Yeah. So it, the feeling is that it was known already at that point. Right, right. All right. Then there was this guy, Fred Shapiro, who was a librarian at the Yale Law School and the editor of the Yale Book of Quotations. He found two 1912 articles in the Mount Vernon Signal in Kentucky promising to give or tell the whole six yards of a story. So this was definitely that was definitely a phrase in the early 20th century. Right. So at one point, it's the whole six yards. Um, and then it becomes the whole nine yards and, and yada, yada, yada. As of right now, that is the oldest. 1912. That is the oldest quote. Uh, that they can find. And cool. it's, it's this, again, this just idea of, you know, telling this whole, tell me, give me the whole six yards, give me the whole story. Yeah. But, you know, we don't have that solid, um, uh, literal, we don't know where When that did it go li- from yeah. six yards of yeah, something to six yards meaning even everything? If, even in 1912, it's still doing like an idiomatic reference to something that's not Which just suggests clear. that it was already being used yes. before then. Yes. Right. So what does it all mean? Yeah. The, what we know is that the oldest reference we've been able to find so far is, the ni- is 1912. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people believe it's a backwoods provenance mm-hmm. so it just could be something that people were saying off the grid there um and the number they're saying is kind of arbitrary like it's called a numerical phrase inflation huh now actually the articles that i was reading about this um they kept referencing cloud nine which you had done before because yeah. used to be cloud seven yeah yeah cloud seven but so. what i find interesting is that they're just kind of like 
Oh, oh, you know what else? You know what else I saw referenced more than once? They were like, when you say the whole, um, like it's like saying the whole shebang, mm. which doesn't and the, and these these couple articles were like, you know, saying the whole shebang or the whole enchilada or whatever that doesn't really mean anything. But I'm like, I'm offended. I was like, I I feel like I kind of because I did the whole shebang and I feel like I forget if it was like a hut or something. <laughs> it was like a car or a hut or something. But they're acting like it's nothing. Yeah. And, and also with whole your shebang cl- is something. It is something. And with the cloud nine that you did before mm-hmm. um you had a pretty good theory about why it did jump from seven to nine right because didn't they add maybe new... i'd have to re-listen to the episode because at the time you were saying there was like seven different types of clouds but then they found they found that there were more oh yeah sure so this whole thing like trying to relate this phrase to two idioms that we've done and yeah. saying like these numbers don't matter or the whole doesn't matter i take it offense does. Does. i take offense yes it matters um so anyway, um, what the whole point of kind of what I'm getting at here is that the oldest reference is still just considered negative evidence. Yeah. We don't really still know where it comes from. Wow. So the hunt is still on for this. So keep an eye out in yeah. those old books. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking like, wouldn't it be neat if one day we get to do like a correction and, or like an update and be like, they finally found where the whole nine or the whole six yards actually comes from. Yeah. Wow. But at this point, but I do think it's, I think it's important to, to clarify that this is not just bullets in during world war two, you know, like on rounds of something, none of, because I think most people think, think that And and I did. So did I. And that's the thing is, Basically, pretty much everything that I said is too new um, mm-hmm. to to really be the origin. Now, that being said, it could still, well, yeah, it couldn't really be the, the cloth stuff. Like talking about fabric, some of that goes back to like the 1800s, but those were the nine yards. And it seems like as far as written evidence, the farthest back that we've gone really is 1912. Mm-hmm. With the whole six yards. So people, I want to be like that dude from 1982 and say like, reignite your passion. Go back. We have the databases now. Like, go get it. Go find it. Put your hunting caps on. Put people. your hunting caps on. Um, so that's it. Did awesome. I, did you get, did you get your solid answer that you can rest your head on? No, but it's kind of nice to know that there's a big foot of. A Bigfoot of idioms. Uh, of idioms <laughs> cool. still trouncing around out there, especially because we like monster stuff. And awesome. Stuff like that. So that's a wrap on the whole nine yards. The Bigfoot of idioms. Wow. Yeah. That's fun. That's yeah. a nice crossover since we're going to, our next episode is going to be a dubia monster episode. Which we did not plan. And like when I was looking this up, so it's just another. It's just not, it's a thing. Another it's just a nice little thing. Uh, so um, like last year, uh, we are not going to be releasing any episodes in August, so you can catch up on all your other podcasts. Or catch up on or, ours, I hope. Or, yeah, hope catch up on ours. I know some of you are behind back there. And um, But we but. will be we will be releasing an uh, episode a week on our Patreon. So um, for our Patreon listeners, we had mentioned uh, many months ago that we were going to be doing special episodes full goth episodes where we would um each episode would explore the song or skit that we wrote for that right so episode one of our patreon episodes is going to be about 
the song from episode one of Don't Be an Idiom. And two. Episode and two is going to be about episode it's two. going to be all that. So they're, they're about 15 minutes, and um, it's just kind of like a memory lane thing. We listen to the songs in real time for the first time since we released the uh, right. the episodes, and then we just kind of try to like figure out what the heck we were doing and what were some context for, for writing the music and the lyrics and stuff. So it was, it was pretty fun. It is fun. It actually is. It, it was a lot of fun uh, getting started with that and looking forward to doing more of it. But what's kind of, if you are um, an avid listener and you get all the way to the end of the episodes, uh, I, I know I've said it a lot of times. My favorite part is the the songs or the skits. And what's really funny about going back into them is just trying to connect those dots of like, what were we thinking? Because, <laughs> because if you, if you read the lyrics or, I mean, there, there is some wacky stuff in there. So we really want to try there's meaning to, behind every single there is, thing. Yeah, yeah. Nothing is a throwaway. <laughs> right. Like this is not this. There's some deep shit in there and you know, <laughs> they might lock us up. after. So, all that. um, <laughs> if you're already a subscriber, uh, then um, starting the first week of August, every Wednesday, every we're Wednesday, gonna be, we're going to be, we'll be releasing yep. a full goth episode. And um, so, and if you, if you would like to support the podcast, uh, you know, this is like an independent thing that Albert and I do. Yep. We appreciate any type of support that we can get. Um, join and you get to enjoy those. And then uh, after August, we'll probably release them like twice a month. Yeah. So, um, that's about it. And then so uh, we hope everyone has a, a fun summer and you guys are up to some cool stuff. Stay cool out there, people. It's oh, heating yeah. up a little bit. It's a jack attack. Jack Nicholson's <laughs> hot as balls. <laughs> jack Meehoff. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, until next time, don't, don't be it's y'all. Are you taking the piss? Michelin Man is 
some room. 